what the master is up to, basically, that's my paraphrase. There are certain things that are hidden from the servants, but the friends, Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but friends. And then he says, greater, has lo no, greater love has no man than this to lay down one's life for his friends. But we know that Jesus even went above and beyond that because John 3.16 tells us, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And Jesus even taught us to love our enemies. It's easy to love those who love you. The challenge is to love those who don't. And so our great men and women of the military over the past several hundred years have laid down their lives not only for their families and their friends, their neighbors. They died for people they never even knew. And I was thinking about this last night and just how we probably tend to take those people for granted. When you think about all the people who have laid down their lives to protect our nation, to protect our way of life, our beliefs, our values. The heroes, the military, and law enforcement. So many people that we take for granted, the first responders, right? There's more talk about them today probably than in times past because of some of these severe events like 911 and so forth. But on a day-to-day -day basis, I'm not sure most of us really give much thought to how many men and women are out there laying their lives on the line every single day to protect us. And I would like to say to protect our freedoms, but those are now in great peril, as you know. So I want to talk today in light of this Memorial Day celebration about the heart of a warrior. <clears throat> And as you know, as believers, we are called to be warriors for Christ because spiritual warfare has been in existence since the beginning of the human race. And it will not end until Christ returns and Satan is thrown into the bottomless pit, the lake of fire, until he's done away once and for all. So in order to be a true warrior, one must be willing to give up everyone and everything. Uh, my good friend Brian Davis is here today with his wife Carla and uh, Carla's son was just deployed to somewhere in Africa. What's Djibouti. That name always cracks me up. Djibouti. <laughs> He'll be over there for a year and he leaves behind a wife and two daughters. Are they both girls? Boy and a girl and what's the one on the way? Another girl. Due in June. So here's a young man who's had to leave behind his wife, two children, another child on the way in the service of his country. And that's the heart of a warrior, to be willing to do what a lot of people are not willing to do. One must be willing to give up everyone and everything. We've been talking about this a little bit in the early parts of our study in the Gospel of John where Jesus calls his disciples... And it's a very immediate, very decisive thing where these men, young men, dropped everything with Peter, James, and John, and Andrew. It was the fishing industry. They dropped their nets to follow him. Matthew, the tax collector, walked away from his tax table. And that's the heart of a warrior. 
And it even includes being willing to lay down one's own life. And so I would like to discuss the heart of a warrior by briefly examining what I believe are three of the greatest warriors this world has ever known. Obviously, there are more that we could include, but I, I'm speaking of Joshua, David, and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, we lift up this time in your word today. We ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon us. Give us insight and understanding and application to the truths that we find in your word, specifically today, Father, as it regards the heart of a warrior. <clears throat> First thing I would point out, the heart of a warrior is not reluctant or hesitant. There is an old expression, I think it might come from the military, there was a western movie called this, but the quick and the dead, right? In times of crisis, in times of emergency, in extreme situations, a quick response is absolutely necessary, is it not? He who hesitates is lost. Again, we see that with the disciples. They were not reluctant or hesitant when Christ called them. Their response was immediate, indicating Jesus was choosing wisely. Obviously, these young men were not perfect by any means, and they, they went under three years of training with Jesus, but they had the heart of a warrior. Joshua, Exodus 17, 9. Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek tomorrow. I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. Remember that famous rod? I guess they could have called Matt, that was the first hot rod. <laughs> Hello? I'm not sure the younger people know what a hot rod is. It's not an electric car, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Now what's interesting about this, this is the first time Joshua is mentioned in the scriptures. Did you know that? Exodus 17, 9, Moses tells Joshua, obviously they had some connection, some relationship, but the first time that he's actually mentioned is where Moses tells him, go out and fight the Amalekites. With no introduction of any kind, his first recorded action is to lead the troops of Israel into battle against the Amalekites. And then with the disciples, as I mentioned, Matthew 4, 18 and 19, Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Think about that. I mean, it, we just read over it and then it's gone. But think about the repercussions of these two men. And it wasn't just Peter and Andrew. It was James and John. The same thing happened with them. Think of what their families must have thought. Just walking away from their livelihoods to follow Jesus. The second point, the heart of a warrior is characterized by obedience. It kind of goes hand in hand with um, not being reluctant not being hesitant, and being obedient. The heart of a warrior is to be obedient. Joshua did as Moses had said to him. Now remember, there was another guy in the Old Testament, pretty famous guy, King Saul. Saul was a warrior too. 
But his life ended in suicide because he lacked the character and spirituality to be a true warrior for God. Interestingly, it was his failure to obey God in eradicating the Amalekites, the same group that Joshua encountered. God told him to eradicate them. I was having a discussion with my friend Brian about this, how a lot of people who are not believers, or maybe even some believers who struggle with some of the things in the Bible, they read some of these Old Testament passages where God tells them to go in and just kill everybody. And people say, your God is an angry God, a vengeful God, a violent God, a bloody God. But these people were pagans, and over a period of several hundred years at least, they practiced every vile form of paganism that you can imagine. Child sacrifice, temple prostitutes, both male and female. And God waited hundreds of years before he finally judged them, and he used the Israelites to judge them. And by the way, since God's perfect and we're not, since he's the creator and we're not, whatever he does is just, it is right. But people struggle with that, especially if they're not believers, right? But a heart of a warrior is not reluctant or hesitant, and the heart of a warrior is characterized by obedience. 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23, Samuel, the prophet, said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Saul justified his failure to carry out God's commands to the full by saying, Oh, we wanted to because they, they, God told <coughs> Saul not just to kill the men, the women, the boys, and the girls, kill the livestock, everything, okay? And Saul didn't do that. He wanted to take some plunder, and his excuse was, we're going to offer up a sacrifice to the Lord. And Samuel has this message from the Lord. Wait a minute. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. And there are a lot of people who think that they can earn favor with God through giving money, right? Not giving of themselves, but giving money and things, thinking that will do them well in the eyes of God. What God is looking for more than anything else is obedience, and if you're walking in obedience, then if God tells you to give money, you'll give it, right? But you don't give it to get out of doing things. You don't get it uh, to pad your relationship with God, as it were. To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Listen to this. This is one that gets overlooked a lot, I think. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And if you know your Bible at all, you know that God has a very dim view of witchcraft. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, it's one of the things requiring capital punishment in the Old Testament. Witchcraft. Which is abounding today. Do you know that? The statistics are indicating there are more young people moving towards that direction than there are towards Christianity, the occult, Satanism, witchcraft. And yet the Bible 
takes a very dim view of that. Probably because it involves a lot of interaction with demons. That might be something God doesn't really support, you think. To obey is better than sacrifice. To heed fat of rams. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And rebellion can take on many forms. But if we identify as believers in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as followers of Jesus Christ, Jesus said that on that day when we stand before him, Matthew chapter 7, that those who did not obey his commandments, who said, Lord, Lord, he said, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. One of the hallmarks of a true believer is that they obey God. Does that mean every day, every time, we're 100% perfect and we always obey God? No, but the important thing is when we realize the, the Holy Spirit's going to tell you when you didn't. The Holy Spirit's going to point it out when you didn't obey God, when you blew it, right? The important thing is to confess it, to repent, to ask God's forgiveness and to move on. But if we go through life ignorantly, continuously disobeying God, that's not a good sign. Not a good sign. And really, according to God's word, it's as if we're practicing witchcraft. We're trying to accomplish things in life without God's help, without God's power, without God's strength. The heart of a warrior is characterized by obedience. And so what happened with Saul, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. See why it's important that we are constantly reading our Bibles, studying our Bibles? Because it's so easy for us to fall into these things, to be rebellious, to be stubborn, but when we read the description here, wait a minute, rebellion is like witchcraft? Stubbornness is like iniquity and idolatry? How many of you here today want to be idolaters? Nobody? I don't either. However, if we allow this attitude of stubbornness to creep into our lives particularly as it relates to our relationship with God, God says we're practicing idolatry. See how the Word of God will bring our hearts and minds into check? See how that works? Maybe that's why a lot of people do avoid reading their Bibles. Because when we read the Bible, it brings us accountable to God for our heart attitudes and our actions. Really dry the last couple of days. At least for me. I don't know about you guys. Okay, the third thing here, the heart of a warrior is a humble heart, or in Bible terms, a broken heart. <clears throat> David, 51, Psalm 51, 16 and 17. And if memory serves me correctly, this is after David had sinned with Bathsheba. He'd been confronted by the prophet Nathan because David got into one of those phases of his life where he was in rebellion, if you will, and being stubborn, took, taking the wife of another man, Bathsheba, then sending him to the front of the battle so that he might be killed. The encouraging part is that there's no sin that God will not forgive if we are truly broken and humble before him and repentant. So David writes this, 
For you not, do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. And so even under the Old Testament system of sacrifices and offerings and so forth, those were supposed to be just an outward sign of what was going on in a person's heart. It's kind of like baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, but by getting baptized in front of other people, it makes a public statement that we have made a commitment to Christ. It's not the baptism that saves us, it's the outward sign of what's happened in our hearts. Same thing with communion. Communion doesn't save you, but when you partake of it in the proper manner, which Paul describes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when you partake of it in the proper manner, you are expressing outwardly with your physical body what God has done in your heart. David understood that. The case can be made, folks, that even under the Old Covenant, and Abraham is a particularly strong example of this, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness, salvation by grace, even under the Old Covenant. If their hearts were not in the right place, the sacrifices were meaningless. And so David says, you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. See, to you and I, I don't know, that might have a negative connotation, a broken spirit. But in God's eyes, it's what Jesus talks about in the Beatitudes, those who are poor in spirit. It means you recognize your spiritual poverty apart from God, apart from Jesus Christ. And yet he offers us spiritual riches as we come to him, as we yield to him, as we offer up our lives to him. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, David says. These, O God, you will not despise. The heart of a warrior is a humble heart. David was certainly a great warrior, but he wasn't puffed up and arrogant and prideful. He may have had some times in his life where he's like that, but God is faithful to keep getting us humbled again, isn't he? John the Baptist, we've been talking about him lately and how he said regarding Jesus, John had disciples of his own, and they were a little bit intimidated by Jesus. They were followers of John, and they thought, well, hey, man, we're losing our following here. What's up? And John says, he, Jesus, must increase. I must decrease. John had the heart of a warrior. This wild guy out there in the desert by the Jordan River wearing camel's hair, eating locusts and wild honey, and baptizing people all over the place, and in the face of the Pharisees, he was a warrior, John the Baptist. He must increase, I must decrease. And as I said, humility. These all interconnect. Not being reluctant or hesitant, being obedient. And humility and obedience go hand in hand as well. Disobedience is the result of pride. I'm not going to listen to you. I know better than you. We often see this in the parent-child relationship, don't we? Disobedient, because hey, you're just an old man, what do you know, right? You're just God, what do you know? <laughs> I know better than you. Your orders don't fit in with my plans, sorry, right? Humility and obedience go hand in hand. Saul, again, 1523 of 1 Samuel. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, 
Stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Jesus, who I guess we could all agree with wholeheartedly, is our number one role model, yes? John 4, 34, Jesus said to them, My food, my sustenance, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Now, keep in mind, Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He is God, along with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And yet he said here, his earthly mission, when he came to earth and became a man, my food, my sustenance, my very existence, if you will, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. I think we could arguably say Jesus is the greatest warrior of all. That'll be fully manifested when he comes back in Revelation chapter 19. And yet he was fully in submission and walking in obedience to the will of the Father. John 6, 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And thank God he did, right? Matthew 26, 39, he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Here in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night of his betrayal, he's there praying. Peter, James, and John, sleepy, dopey, and doc, or they all fall asleep. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here with me and watch with me. I don't know why that's in there. Anyway, it's a good verse. All right, number four. The heart of a warrior is a fighting heart. Remember what happened with Joshua? Moses calls Joshua. He says, go fight with the Amalekites. Well, that's easy for you to say, Mo, you're not going to go. <laughs> but we know that he was, Moses was up on the top of the hill holding his hands in the air. And as long as he held his hands in the air, Joshua and his army prevailed. But when his arms got tired and he let his staff down, they started losing. So Aaron and her had to come and prop up his hands. And then we look at 1 Samuel 30, 17, hearkening back to David again. When David attacked them, the Amalekites, from twilight until the evening of the next day. That's like 24 hours, folks. Not a man of them escaped except 400 young men who rode on camels and fled. Whenever I read that, I, get, I always get this comedic feeling. Can you just picture 400 guys dashing away on camels? Pretty wild. But they killed the rest of them. It reminds me of when uh, um, the first incidents of smoking in the Bible when Sarah lit off the camel. I didn't make it up. Lit off, get it? Yeah. That's in the King James. She lit off. She got off of the camel. Never mind. Okay? All right. I think it's funny. Sarah lit off the camel. And it was Joshua who had no parents because he was the son of none. Okay. I got a million of them. Okay. Okay. <laughs> 
But notice something here too. Okay, so 400 men, young men rode off on camels and fled. So David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. And David rescued his two wives. It's a fighting heart. David comes home and finds out the Amalekites have ripped off everything, taken all the women, children, and so forth. He immediately goes out and takes them out and brings his family back. Why is it always the Amalekites? What's up with that? They were the perennial enemies of Israel. And in Balaam's prophecy, Numbers 24:20, Amalek is called the first of the nations. So seemingly indicating that they were one of the oldest people groups on the planet. In fact, how many of you remember a guy named Haman? He was the one who tried to exterminate the Jews at the time of Esther when the Jews were in captivity in Babylon. He was a descendant of Agag. Haman was called an Agagite. Agag was the king of the Amalekites. And so here even in Babylon, the Amalekites in the form of Haman raised their ugly head. But once again, God's people prevailed. But think about this. The Amalekites, one of the oldest people groups, a thorn in the side of Israel for a long, long time. And other than man himself, who's been wandering around this planet the longest? Satan. In the beginning, Adam and Eve, and then the serpent in the garden. 1 Peter 5.8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And this warning comes from Peter to believers. Satan hates the whole human race, but guess who he hates the most? The children of God. Going back to the Jews, all the persecutions they've endured, most recently the Nazi Holocaust of World War II. We see a rise in anti-Semitism again in these last days. But Peter warns believers, be sober, be vigilant. So we could even add that to the list. The heart of a warrior is sober, vigilant. Because the other side is always sober and vigilant. Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon, who is Satan, was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now we know that way back they were cast out of heaven, but as we study the scriptures we find they still have a limited access to God. Satan came before God to uh, accuse Job, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but in the middle of the tribulation, he and, the, and his fallen angels will be cast down to earth, and so their activities will be isolated to this planet, and you can imagine what that's going to be like, and we're told about it in the book of Revelation. As you all know, I very strongly believe, and not just me, there are many, many out there in the body of Christ, um, well-studied, well-educated men and women who believe wholeheartedly that these uh, so-called UFOs, manifestations of that kind, are actually 
Now, in some cases, they could be good angels. But for the most part, it would appear that they are demonic in nature. And I don't know if you've noticed this. I've kind of been ramping up my studies in this area again. And the reports of, what do they, there's a new word for it now instead of UFO. It's unidentified aerial phenomenon, AEF. So that's what they always do. When one, one uh, catchphrase gets burned out, they come up with a new one. What was global warming, and now it's climate change. So that way, no matter what happens, they can justify their actions. Oh, it was getting too hot, now it's getting too cold, and they can flip it back, right? But these manifestations have reached the level where it's, it's getting really impossible to deny them. And the, uh, the video footage back in the days, remember those cheesy, blurry, and it looked like somebody threw a saucer up in the air? And You know what? It's not like that anymore, folks. It's not like that anymore. Like I said, there's a number of men and women that I highly respect who spend a lot of time studying this stuff. And we've talked about this before, but, you know, the Vatican has that Lucifer telescope in Arizona outside of Tucson. By the way, okay, so a couple of things. One, the Vatican, I forget which pope it was. It's a little ways back. But the Vatican has, a, has officially endorsed evolution over creationism, okay? And so they are, their whole purpose for this telescope, they call it a giant binocular, actually. And I forget what all the letters stand for, but all the letters for the name of this telescope spell Lucifer. And they're, st they're looking for alien life forms. That's what they're doing. And their plan is to baptize them into the Catholic Church when they get here. I'm not making any of this up. If you don't believe me, you can study it for yourself. I mean, okay, I don't believe. The, but Jesus says, don't swear. Let your yea be yea and your nay be nay. So I'm not going to swear, but I would swear. This is not made up, folks. You're laughing, but it's really not funny. And they've also stated they have higher ups within the Catholic Church and the Vatican that this is their whole field of study, Okay. And they also have stated that when these people arrive, not if they do, but when they arrive, uh, my friends probably think I'm off out to lunch, crackpot. That's okay, I love you anyway. <laughs> when they arrive, it could change our whole theology. That's what they're saying. Because when they arrive, it will prove to the world that the way we got here, we were seeded on this planet by higher... higher Alien life forms of higher intelligence. This has replaced Darwinism. Darwinism is dead, buried, and in the ground. Even though the Catholic Church has endorsed evolution, most, even within the secular scientific community, now admit Darwinism is a joke. It's a farce. And yet, let me point something out to you. That's been shoved down the throats of our children for the last 50, 60 plus years evolution they call it the theory of evolution but they teach it as a fact and you know what that's done that's corrupted several generations and turned them away from God because if evolution's true then God isn't and that was the goal Charles Darwin 
was originally a theology student, and through a series of bad incidents in his personal life, he came to hate God, and he came up with a theory of evolution to try to refute and do away with God. That's usually how all these things get started. It's like I've told you. People say they hate God. They don't believe in God, but they hate Him. How can you hate Him if you don't believe in Him? Hello? And so this new belief, which is being embraced by more and more people, and all this phenomenon that's going on is increasing belief in this view that we got here by aliens seeding this planet. When in actuality, these aliens, aliens are simply demonic entities. All signs of the last times, the end times. I'm not sure how I got there, but I guess I was supposed to. It's usually how it works. The great dragon, that's how we got there. Because he's going to be cast down to the earth. He's, there are principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly realms. Halfway through the tribulation, they are going to be isolated upon this planet. I wouldn't want to be here then, would you? I'm glad I believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. But you know what? No matter what happens, I know God is with me. He's always been with me. He always will be with me. And he will always be with you if you are with him. Okay? By the way, I know all this stuff sounds crazy, but this world is crazy. Is, any, is it any crazier than the serpent talking to Eve in the garden and seducing her to disobey God? There's been a lot of crazy things that have happened over the past 6,000 years, and it's going to get a whole lot crazier before it's over. I think one of the biggest hazards for the church, the body of Christ, is that oftentimes we tend to discount the supernatural, yet we're the ones who believe in the supernatural God. And by the way, this whole universe has been created with a perfect balance. God is balanced. I got sucked in the other day by this video. It was interesting. After a little while, I figured out this guy was a Seventh-day Adventist. He was teaching soul sleep, that, that people are not punished forever. They said, our God would never do that. He would never punish and torment someone for eternity. They simply fall asleep and it's over. That is a false doctrine. Because I've told you this before. If there's eternal reward for those who embrace God, then in balance, there would have to be eternal punishment. God's not going to reward us with eternal life because we've been faithful to Him and then let the evil ones off the hook. Sorry, it doesn't work that way. You've got to be very careful what you watch, who you listen to, and you need to know the Scriptures. You need to know your sound doctrine, the apostles' doctrine, because there are deceivers out there everywhere. It looked like an interesting thing, so I began to watch it. Didn't take long before I thought, no, this is not right. It's like hand handling, you know how they teach the bank tellers to recognize counterfeit money? Well, that maybe back in the day, I don't know, now they have a little infrared light or something. <laughs> they used to have them handle just money, 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 all day long, real money. 
and they got the feel of it to the point where the men in a fake bill came across their hands, they recognized it. That's how we need to be with the scriptures. You need to be handling the scriptures day in, day out, over and over again. And the minute something fake comes along, you know it. And you also have the discernment of the Holy Spirit. By the way, folks, we're talking about the heart of a warrior today. This is important to know and to understand. There are no civilians or conscientious objectors in the kingdom of God. That term became very popular back in the 60s and 70s with the Vietnam War. Oh no, I'm a conscientious objector. A good buddy of mine, I wasn't old enough when the, when the war broke out. We were in a band together. I was like 15, but he was like 18, 19. He got drafted, and he was a conscientious objector. So he wound up delivering mail in the jungles of Vietnam, which was just as dangerous, if not more so. <laughs> but he was a conscientious objector. I think he even wound up carrying a gun out there because he had to be able to protect himself while he's out delivering the mail. 2 Timothy 2.3 You therefore must endure hardship as a good, what? Soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare. Paul's talking to Timothy here, but really he's speaking about every believer. Every believer is engaged in spiritual warfare. It only becomes a problem when you're not aware of it. You don't recognize it. You ignore it. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. And boy, doesn't the enemy like to suck us into that stuff. The affairs of this life, literally and figuratively. <clears throat> that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Who enlisted you? Jesus Christ, right? You're in his army. There's no civilians. We're the army of God, the body of Christ. And our number one goal should be pleasing him who enlisted us. Talk about your heart of a warrior, no reluctance, obedience, humility, all the things we've discussed this morning. The true warrior must have a fighting heart because the Amalekites, who are a symbol for the devil, really, just keep turning up like a bad penny. He, the enemy, never stops fighting. So we must not stop fighting either. I mentioned Aaron, her, Aaron and her earlier. I want to read that passage from his, Exodus 17, 11. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he led down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him. He sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. We're all called to be Aaron's and Hur's, holding up one another's arms when we get exhausted while fighting the good fight. That's why it's so important to be involved in a local body of believers. And when I say involved, I mean involved. I don't mean showing up once in a while if, it, if the mood fits you, suits you, if you don't have something better to do. 
A warrior doesn't say, I'm too tired to go to church today. A warrior doesn't say, eh, I think I'd rather go fishing. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you want to be a warrior for Christ, it takes discipline. That's where the word disciple comes from. And I'm not just saying that just by going to church on Sundays, that'll make you a warrior. But this is, this is, this is the training. This is basic training here, folks. Although some have said we're more advanced than that. <laughs> I told you about the one guy that used to be here, and he said, you know, you said before that this is like the, uh, um, the Marine Corps. Uh, maybe I did say that. He said, but I'm more of an Air Force guy, so I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, maybe. The few, the proud, the Marines, so be it. Right? I thank God that my son Adam was a highly trained Marine when he went to Iraq and Afghanistan, or he might not be with us today. But he went over there as a warrior, and he came back alive. God wants us all to come back alive, too. First Timothy 6.12 And again, if we're all to be errands and hers to one another, that means we've got to be around each other. We've got to make relationship. We've got to have fellowship. We've got to know each other. We've got to spend time together. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good fight of the faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. That's another thing about it. We hold each other accountable. That's how it is in the military. When one person's lagging behind, slacking off, it's the responsibility of the other recruits, the other soldiers, to, to prop them up, encourage them, challenge them, whatever it takes to help them finish the course. Ephesians 6.13 Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Even Jesus fought with the devil prior to launching out in his public ministry. Matthew 4, 1 through 11, you know the story. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and when he had fasted 40 days and nights, Afterward, he was hungry, as you can imagine. They say that after 40 days, if you don't eat soon, then you will starve to death. He, was, he pushed it to the max. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. That would be a real genuine temptation, wouldn't it? But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus lifted up the importance of spiritual food over physical food. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world, and their glory, and he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. See, that's the whole story of human history, folks. I did a teaching on this once. I wish I could find the notes. I don't know what, what happened to them. But in this teaching, I talk about how 
all the conflicts of human history really boil down to who's going to be worshipped. It started with Adam and Eve in the garden. And it's gone on ever since. And it will culminate with the rise of the Antichrist. That will be Satan's final effort, Satan's final attempt, and he will succeed for a brief period of time in drawing the whole world into satanic worship. That's what it's all about. All the wars, all the conflicts, you name it. It's all about who's going to be worshipped. And guess who's going to be worshipped ultimately? Our God. Our God is an awesome God. And what's really interesting, folks, Satan showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and what did Satan say? All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. How could he possibly say that? Because he does have that power and authority relegated to him by God. Ultimately, it's God who raises up kings and takes down kings. But he's given the devil a lot of latitude in this world. Jesus calls him the prince of this world. And this could happen next week. I have a video I wanted to show you today, but I've held off because of this message. Maybe next. Jonathan Kahn. How many of you remember Jonathan Kahn? He has a no, new book out called The Return of the Gods. Okay, here's some more far out stuff for you, okay? Years and years ago, when we were over on the other side of Tramway in that shopping center, it came to me that many of the myths and legends of old were based on truth. The Titans and so forth, you know? All the mythological gods. Behind them were demonic entities, okay? Those principalities and powers that the Bible talks about. And Jonathan Kahn brings to the forefront three key entities that are, that are the machine, the motor behind everything that's going on today. Baal, Ashtoreth, and Eros. This is some heavy-duty stuff, folks. I might show you the video next week, okay? But again, from everything we see in the Scriptures... And it all makes perfectly sense, even from the logical, rational perspective, that if we are truly in the last days, that these things would be unleashed once again in our world. And the trigger point was when our nation began to turn away from God, took the Ten Commandments out of the schools, took the Bible out of the schools, took prayer out of the schools, legalized abortion... And Jonathan Kahn points out that when a nation turns away from God, it opens the door for these entities. Did you know, we've talked about this before, you may not remember, they erected an archway to Baal in New York City. A lot of weird things going on. I think it was in Detroit where they erected a giant statue of Baphomet, which is a symbol for Satan. My mother used to say, she had a lot of them, a lot of colloquialisms. She said, I'm not a pessimist, I'm just a realist, okay? I'm, not, I'm an optimist, I've been an optimist my whole life, but I also believe in telling the truth. 
and recognizing what's going on. <laughs> One of the things Jonathan Kahn points out in his video, you can't be a warrior, you can't fight in a battle if you don't know that there's a war going on. And secondarily, you can't be victorious if you don't know who the enemy is. Most people today think their enemy is their husband, their wife, <laughs> their boss, their neighbor, right? We, we look at things on that um, horizontal plane, right? When everything's really vertical. Okay, it's all spiritual. I've told you this over and over and over again. And I know some people still don't get it. They don't buy it. It's spiritual. Because God is a spirit and he created this entire universe. And we're created in his image and we have a spirit that will live, either live forever with him in paradise or that will suffer eternal torment apart from him. Not soul sleep. It's an eternal conscious state of torment. Living dead. Oh, does that sound familiar? I also told you several years ago, all this obsession with zombieism, it's prophetic. Oh, I think maybe the COVID vaccine was the first step. A lot of people are still zombies. They're still wearing masks. It's blocking the oxygen flow to their brain and everything else, and they're sucking in carbon monoxide. They're a bunch... I'm not going to say it. I was gonna... Okay. Can you think of the word I was going to use? It wasn't a bad word. It wasn't a dirty word. But it wasn't a nice word. It's crazy, folks. I told you when this whole thing started. It's all about control. They want to find out how much they control people, and they found out they control people a lot. Yes. And now the World Health Organization, we might go over today. I'm sorry. This is two weeks in a row. I'm all wound up. The World Health Organization is announcing that we better be watching out for a new pandemic. You know, Anthony Fauci predict, predicted the pandemic before it ever happened. He said, when Donald Trump takes office, he is going to face a pandemic. Really? How'd you know that? Because he created it. Man, I'm sure no, glad I know God. Because really, we're moving towards hell on earth. But I'm going to be in heaven with God. Somehow we've got to reach people, folks, with the gospel of Christ. The time is short. Time is short. So Satan offered Jesus something that he could deliver. How do you think all these famous people, whether they're entertainers, you know, music people, actors, actresses, wealthy moguls, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates, you name it. How do you think they got there? Because the devil has control of much of the resources of this world and he gives them to those who will serve him. And he offered it to Jesus. And thank God, our Lord and Savior said, no way, Jose. It wouldn't have been a temptation if Satan didn't have the ability to deliver. And the thing is, Jesus is going to have it all anyway. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord. 
He's going to rule the whole earth. The devil was offering him a shortcut, and he will do that to you too. Watch out for the devil's shortcuts. Sex before marriage. It's a shortcut, right? Drug abuse, alcohol abuse. It's really just a, a destructive shortcut to, the, to the, the joy that we will have in paradise. It's a fake temporary high where we get to have an eternal high in God, in Christ, in paradise. Everything the devil offers in this world is fake, phony. It's a shortcut. How many of you have ever taken a shortcut that turned out to be a long cut? I just did that yesterday. I was trying to find a new way to Brian's house, and I wound up driving around in circles. And I decided, I guess there's really only one way to get there. Oh, what, really? One way? One way to God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What do you know? All right, try to finish here. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, and if Satan's not a real person, then Jesus is a goofball. But Jesus is no goofball. There are those who try to say Satan's not real. Oh, he's just a concept. Really? Oh, God is just a concept. Oh, really? They're about to find out real soon. Away for you, with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Even Jesus needed that refreshing, that uplifting. We've talked before about the guardian angels that God surrounds us with. They will come. When you're fighting that battle, when you're a warrior for Christ, and you're worn down, and you're exhausted, and you're out of strength, God will send those ministering spirits to uplift you, to encourage you, to strengthen you. What were Jesus' weapons? You know what? We're not even close to being done. I guess it's a two-parter. <laughs> All right. Jesus' weapons here, folks, were fasting, prayer, and the Word of God. Keep that in mind. Let's stand. And God bless all you warriors for Christ. Wow, I thought I was closer to the end than that. Anyway. Prayer requests. Raise your hands, folks. We're going to pray for those. Praise the Lord. God bless you guys. We already mentioned uh, Pastor Dave's brother, Randy. Who else was it? Isaac. Okay, Father, we do first of all lift them up to you. Lord, we pray for healing and restoration for Isaac, that you'd heal that fractured neck as quickly as possible. You'd perfect, protect him for any further injuries. Pray that he would not have to have surgery and that you'd encourage that young man and uh, just uh, use this to strengthen his faith. Be with his mom, who's understandably very concerned. Just be with her family. Pour out your spirit upon them. We pray also for Pastor Dave's brother, Randy, Lord, um, who's contracted cancer in that new lung that he got, and it's not going well at all. We lift him up to you. We thank you that he is a believer. Pray that you comfort him and his whole family. Lord, and if you should choose to take him home, that it would be a peaceful passing and that everyone will be at peace and celebrating his promotion. But Lord, if there is a way that he could recover from this, we lift him up to you and pray for healing and restoration. We also pray for everyone else here today that's struggling with health issues. 
whether it be uh, physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. Lord, we ask that you'd pour out your spirit upon them. Bring relief from pain and distress. Lord, that you would heal diseases that the doctors say can't be healed. Lord, you're the great physician. Nothing is impossible for you. We lift up Pat Sir and her condition, Father. We ask that you bring healing to her and restoration, that we would be able to have fellowship with her again. Encourage her, encourage Martin, and we pray for victory over her afflictions in Jesus' name. Father God, for all those other people that are suffering either with injuries, diseases, Lord, again, nothing is impossible with you. Nothing is too difficult. We pray for your grace and your mercy to be poured out upon all that are afflicted, whether it's arthritis or asthma or kidney disease. Lord, whatever it is, you have authority over it. And we ask that you would exert your authority over these conditions in Jesus' name. And also for those with uh, depression, anxiety, fear, worry, doubt, unbelief, Lord, all these feelings and emotions that can come upon us and, and tie us down and hold us back. We ask you to deliver us, set us free in the name of Jesus. Lord, we pray for provision, Father, for those who are struggling economically and pray that we would always work together as a body of Christ to make sure that nobody goes without. But Lord, we thank you that you are our provider. You promised to take care of us and watch over us. And we pray that you would just provide for anyone here today who's struggling in that area, Father, whether it be for rent money or for mortgage money or for car payments or whatever it is, or just to put food on the table, Lord, help us to keep in mind you are a provider and you are faithful. Strengthen our faith, encourage us, uplift us, and help us to keep our eyes on you, Lord, the author and the finisher of our faith. And we ask that you give us the strength to be the warriors, Father, that you have called us to be. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit and the dynamic quality of your word Lord, help us to be faithful to continue that ongoing lifeline process of training and equipping ourselves to be fit for battle. And we thank you that we have the victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen.